Welcome back to They Talk Sex Podcast. This is the trauma and sex therapy episode. Our guest is Catherine Friedman. Catherine is a sex therapist certified by the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, ASECT. She specializes in sexuality, kink, embodiment, mindfulness, pleasure, and conscious relationships. You can contact Catherine on Instagram at articulate desire and via email hello at articulate desire.com. Hello. Hello. Hello, dear. So nice to talk to you. Yes, very nice to talk to you. Good morning. Good morning. We met in Portland, I think a long time ago. Yeah, it's like four years. <laughs> that seems so long. <laughs> I know. It feels really long. It feels really long. Some things have changed. Many things have stayed the same. Yeah, yeah. some things have changed. Uh, yeah. So this episode will relate to trauma. We're going mm -hmm. to give some info and take a lot of questions, some which will relate to power exchange, submission, mm -hmm. kink, feminism, sensory issues, desire, and gender transitions and other things. Yeah. Yeah. So Some of my favorite things to work with. Oh my gosh. I, you know, obviously confidentiality all over the place. I hear from people who since we have recorded together have mm -hmm. taken you on, you've taken them on They're You are their therapist now. And they just, thank you so much. She's helped me so much. Aww, yeah. That's so, so wonderful to hear. Yeah. So we try to cultivate good guests on this show. So welcome back. So thank what you. got you? Yeah. Thank you for being here. What got you into the work that you do? I was thinking about this question and I, and it's going to sound super cheesy, but I kind of feel like the work found me. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is like I've had interests in embodiment, sexuality, um, emotional healing, psychology, trauma um, throughout my life. And I've um, gone in a lot of different directions. I started out as a dancer and I was a yoga teacher and I trained as an academic, you know, and then I figured out I... I was like, oh, what do I really, really want to do? And I realized that therapy was one of the most important things, but I didn't know I was going to become a sex therapist. Um, mm -hmm. That then found me that my clients, the people who were walking through my door, were people who were exploring their sexuality, who were exploring kink, who were exploring non-monogamy, who were in... Uh, partnership or themselves going through gender transformations and um, who were themselves who were neurodivergent and maybe had never been diagnosed but that was a piece of their trauma was that or what they thought was their PTSD mm -hmm. um, and so those people walking through my door forced me to research things and learn things, which then informed and transformed my practice and made me want to get more education and study at IC where, you know, Institute for Sexuality, Education and Enlightenment, where you and I met, mm -hmm. or one of the places where we met mm -hmm. and made me really want to specialize in this really uh, kind of sacred work. Um, and I say it's sacred because there are so many taboos around sexuality and gender and identity and the intimacy of the kinds of things that people talk with me about very often. They've never talked to anybody about it before. And that mm -hmm. is the most 
incredible privilege and honor um, to be able to do that. So mm. I hope that answers your question. It does. So <laughs> sexuality work is the sacred work you speak of. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, or in your case, sex therapy at this point. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they were these people coming to you as yoga clients? No, I mean, and I was originally, I mean, I was a yoga teacher, you know, years and years ago, those were just different ways that I was exploring the relationship between identity mm. and embodiment and sensuality. Oh, you mean your therapy clients were coming to you with these things? Yeah. But, and then okay. once I became a therapist, people started coming to me with these things. Mm, okay. Got it. These were I'll... themes I was exploring in other um, career directions until about 15 years ago when I realized I, well, when I started practicing as a therapist, I realized I wanted to be a therapist earlier than that because I had to go to school. Okay. What do you think? I didn't actually have this in the notes to ask you, but like off the cuff, because that's yeah. how we roll. Why yeah. do you think some people like, but you know, you know, talk about why you became a therapist, but like, why do you think some people become therapists? Because some therapists are really terrible at their jobs. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm um, like, do you just like the power? Do you just like telling other people what you think and like not really reflecting? Or I've seen that not too often. I but. think that people become therapists for a lot of different reasons. And Certainly. Um, there are people who come to therapy in order to kind of do their own healing through their clients mm. without having actually done much of their own therapy or their own contemplation mm -hmm. or self-examination before they become therapists. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times those are people who themselves have not been through psychotherapy um, or who are avoidant of psychotherapy, but feel like they are, you know, well-adjusted enough or mm -hmm. have studied enough to tell other people what to do. But I think, and this is really kind of a critical piece that I like to emphasize is that Psychotherapy is an experiential process, right? It's done in relationship with another person. And it's kind of hard to learn what it is until you do it hmm. as a client or as a therapist. I asked my therapist if she had a therapist years ago. She's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So what, to the positive, what are some of the ways that people can screen for sex, positive therapists, or even kink, yeah. positive therapists. And really, you and I probably believe that that's like the same. Like if you're a sex positive therapist, you should yeah. be kink literate. I but, really hope you're kink positive. Um, right. But what, what should look, they ask? Look, well, first, when you're doing your initial research on whatever um, uh, clearinghouse or um, search engine or whatever, I would search for those words. I highly recommend both therapyden.com and portlandtherapycenter.com. They're run by the same person um, mm -hmm. as places to start looking because they have those categories as things that you can look for. They nice. have like, do you do non-monogamous like relationships? Do you do, are you kink friendly? You mm -hmm. know, are you sex positive? Mm -hmm. Are you queer and trans affirming? all those sorts of things. Read people's websites, right? Look for the for the language that they put on there when they're advertising or their psychology today profile or what have mm -hmm. you, right? Do they say that they are LGBTQIA plus friendly? Do they say that they're kink fluent? Mm -hmm. Do they have lived experience? Affirming? Can they mention that? Can they have, can therapists mention lived experience? 
that is entirely up to the therapist. And okay. that's when you get into the, um, that's when you get into the interview, right? Mm. Ask your therapist questions Mm -hmm. in your first, optimally, the therapist will offer you a free consultation. I offer a free Mm -hmm. half hour consultation to anybody that wants to work with me so that we can see if we're a good fit Mm -hmm. Um, because otherwise it's sort of a waste of everybody's time. So important. Oh my God. So important. So important. So important for me and like my clients a lot of time. I'm like, like, wait, let me see if I can actually maybe help you first (laughs) before you pay me. Do I do what you want me to do? Yeah. what you want me to do, we're not going to be a good fit and you're going to yeah. just get off at me. So let's not do that. Yeah. Um, okay. So those are, those are great resources. Those two websites, Therapy yeah. Den and PortlandTherapyCenter.com. Yeah. I reckon Therapy Den is national and it's growing and Portland Therapy Center is local to the Portland area and they're both really great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say, don't be afraid in your interview to ask your client, ask your therapist or your potential therapist you know, what is your experience with XYZ population? Mm -hmm. And they can then choose whether to self-disclose about that. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I personally do self-disclose in certain situations, especially with kinky and non-monogamous clients, because I feel like it's very validating and welcoming to clients that are looking for that experience. And also it makes clients, um, aware that they're not going to have to educate me about the world of BDSM or mm. what non-monogamy is all about. Mm-hmm. Right? And that can be such a make or break. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I got really lucky because the first therapist and the only one I've gone to for like eight years, we were great. And I literally mm-hmm. did just that. I checked websites and I read bios and I was like, is this person full of shit? Or like, are they a parent? I was looking for queer, non-monogamous. Yes. And the only thing I really had to ask her was like, how do you feel about sex work stuff? And she didn't bat right. an eye. She's like, I have a ton of clients. Not to say I haven't informed her of a couple things over the years, which has been useful for both of us. Um, sure. But yeah. So I did it, so many things you just said. I feel like that's great advice yeah. so far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my clients educate me on everything, right? It's a mm-hmm. mutual learning experience. No matter how like quote unquote expert I am in something, Every client is the expert of their own experience and everybody's Mm. experience is different. So I think it's important to know that you will always be educating your therapist in some way, but what you're educating them on shouldn't be the whole world that Mm -hmm. you live in. And certainly you want what you really, I think, want to, or what I encourage my clients to assess for is like, do you feel safe and like you're in a non-judgmental environment that will accept whatever you bring in mm-hmm. without shaming it or critiquing it or questioning its validity or its um, health, you know, as a as a practice? Like when, a lot, you know, a lot of um, kink clients feel like they have to explain why they engage in BDSM uh. to previous therapists and Mm -hmm. say, look, it's not pathological. It's not broken. I'm not broken, you know, Mm -hmm. and they might get back like, are you sure you aren't just reliving (laughs) your trauma? Like you can have a really nuanced conversation about that. And I Mm -hmm. think that's a really interesting topic to go into, but. And we might at some point. Yeah. If not time today, someday. Yeah. Yeah. What you're saying is like the container should be safe enough that people can disclose because I mean, I'm hearing otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. And you don't want to spend a lot of time educating. Yeah. Right. You're keeping secrets from your therapist. That is not a great therapy opportunity. I feel like that's a waste of money. 
I agree. Like, <laughs> like before, and t- you know, and also it confuses, like they're not going to give me the best advice they can if they don't have the fullest understanding exactly. of what's going on. Exactly. Right. And also to say that sometimes clients do take time to fully disclose to therapists, no matter how safe the container is, because mm. they have to get to a point where they've worked through their own shame, their own embarrassment, their own fear of rejection, which may have nothing to do with the therapist. Mm-hmm. I've had people um, tell me sometimes just, you know, and we'll get into this in a minute, actually, we'll ask people, why does talk therapy work for you or not? Yeah. And I think there's two things that comes up. It's the what is your natural method of like healing and dealing? You know, do you Mm -hmm. like talk therapy or maybe it's just not, you don't talk a lot anyway. And then also the compatibility with the provider. Yes. Huge. Absolutely. agree with both of those. So I asked uh, some social media audience and listeners, Mm -hmm. I said, how does, or no, I'm sorry. I said, does talk therapy help you? How? No. It does to an extent, but now I realize and accept its limitations, says one person. Mm -hmm. Another says, immensely, complex trauma recovery, ancestral healing, authenticity support. Someone says, yes, if I connect with the person, but that's the hard part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Being a critical consumer as a client of a therapist is an incredibly important piece, you know, um, and I think a lot of people don't feel empowered to do that, like to shop around or to advocate for their needs. They think they just, oh, I'll find a therapist. Mm -hmm. They are an authority and Mm -hmm. doesn't matter how we connect. And I couldn't disagree with that more. Mm -hmm. Totally. And also for a lot of people, the word authority is like, you know, authority figures and authority in their lives. Authority has done a lot of harm. So like, why would you feel? Yeah. I don't really want to feel like my therapist is an expert on anything except how she shows up as a therapist. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Someone else says, no, it does not work for me. CBT and ERP are helpful to me though. That's interesting Mm -hmm. because CBT is talk therapy and I don't know what ERP is. I don't know. (laughs) But I'm sure it's something great. I don't know everything. Yeah, I was cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Yeah, talk therapy. I mean, unless they're talking about cock and ball torture, but I doubt that they would be putting that. (laughs) This person doesn't have a cock. Uh, Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, moving on. Uh, Someone says, my CBT therapist could not help me. I finally made progress with a therapist who did EMDR. Mm -hmm. I hear EMDR is great. Mm-hmm. Someone says it's helpful when I'm in a crisis or a depressive episode, but I have found mm. it laborious otherwise. Mm. Interesting. Someone says life coaching has helped me more. Okay. <laughs> Someone says a combo of writing and talking makes me feel like I get it all out, plus, I am less alone. Mm. Mm-hmm. Someone says totally works for me. It's where I'm just me and can say whatever I want, but I'm also called out on my shit. That sounds like one of my clients. <laughs> Fun. That sounds like me and my therapist. She's like, Elle, you don't really believe that though, do you? I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Elle, that's not normal. <sighs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's like that. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Um. Okay, someone, I like this one. This is creative. Someone says, I write how I'm feeling in real time, uh, maybe in a Google Doc or something. She responds or highlights through the week. Ooh, that's an interesting way of working. 
Yeah. What is DBT? Dialectical behavioral therapy? It's dialectical behavior therapy. And um, it is actually an adaptation of cognitive behavioral therapy that was originally uh, designed by this woman, Marsha Linehan, to work explicitly with borderline personality disorder, which had up to that point been considered virtually untreatable. Mm. Um, it also integrates very much about, I, stu- I studied with Marsha Linehan, so it integrates mm. a lot of, I don't do DBT anymore though. <laughs> uh, it, it integrates a lot of like Marsha's own wisdom in terms of how the clinician interacts with the client um, hmm. in order to really work with some of the patterns that show up with people who struggle with borderline personality disorder. So it's hmm. like a specific form of cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. Interesting. So someone else says CBT makes me feel worse because it brings up past trauma, um, which I have heard for some people. That's why talk therapy is not useful because sure. right. It's putting them back in that spot, but like not giving them a coping. Yeah. Like a grounding. Um, And so the person here says DBT is the only thing with positive outcomes for me because it focuses on the future and skills. Yeah. It's all that DBT is a lot about skills and how to move forward. Um, And DBT stuff is everywhere. Like people may not necessarily even know they're engaging in DBT because it's so pervasive. Could you Um, give any easy examples? Um, yeah, I could. A lot. If you hear ever about distress tolerance skills, or emotion regulation skills, um, those that language is from the DBT manual. Oh, okay. Why don't you do it anymore? You said you don't. Um, I don't work. It's a very intensive therapy for mm-hmm. people who are high risk, and mm-hmm. um, I just, that could be very stressful for you. It was incredibly stressful for me. Yeah, as a provider. Oh, as yeah, a provider. It was too much for me. Um, you know, I did my time in it, but it's like working in an ER. The way right. that I was working, it was like literally like working in an ER. I was on 24-hour call um, oh, God. for people who were at risk of um, suicide or self-injury. And that is just not the lifestyle I want to be living. Yeah, that is not my calling either. And for some folks, it really is. I loved um, it. And it was not good for my nervous system. Mm, that's how I felt about being a facilitator in group therapy, like small groups. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cause it's like, yeah. what kind of energy is a bunch of people going to bring today? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Based on all those, these responses that you're putting out there, I think what it really shows is how, um, is that talk therapy is a very wide um, a- array of things and mm-hmm. that people have really different experiences a lot based on the practitioner. All of the research that I've ever heard about indicates that the relationship with the therapist is the number one indicator of healing outcomes um, and prognosis. So it almost sort of doesn't matter what we do as long as we are in positive, um, constructive relationship with our clients. That being said, what I do is, it is talk therapy However, I am a somatic psychotherapist, and so I work with mind and body. I work Mm -hmm. with sensation. I work with internal self-awareness as much as I work with cognitive thought because I don't really believe in a mind-body split. I think Mm -hmm. that's 
uh, kind of BS. And it's especially working with sexuality, the idea of separating like thought from sensation, from emotion, from reaction is um, kind of unrealistic. Everybody's got Mm -hmm. their lenses that they are more tuned into right? They mm-hmm. might be more thinky. They might be more feely. They might be more sensation-y. They might be more um, physically active oriented. And that's part of what makes the whole process of being a therapist really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that the extent to which um, there's the opportunity for creative collaboration between the therapist and the client, that is what often determines whether talk therapy is going to work and also mm-hmm. how the therapist conceptualizes of talk therapy because it's so varied. Mm-hmm. Oh, so many things. Yeah. Uh, I always love when like I get a wide variation in responses. So yeah. this episode is probably mostly for the people who are interested in these topics and or talk therapy. So the, mm-hmm. the good thing is if you don't like doing talk therapy, you can just listen to a podcast episode and learn something that might kind of relate to you. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So with that, let's take a break for now. Everybody go on Instagram. If you still use that godforsaken app, fuck you Zuckerberg and look up (laughs) at articulate desire. Oh, Zuck. Yeah. That's a, that's a toxic relationship right there. It's a one-sided one. It's Um, a totally coercive (laughs) DNC yeah it's a 24 7 24 7 (laughs) neglectful dom relationship Mm -hmm. and also you can email Catherine. don't waste her time Catherine friedman hello at articulate desire.com ioba toys is the creator of the super silent sex toys the oh my g and the oh my c the oh my g is a g-spot massager with three intensity levels a massaging pearl and a unique C-shape made to precisely hit the G-spot. The Oh My C is a clitoral massager with a rotating massaging pearl that mimics a tongue or fingers, also known as oral sex, and it fits in the palm of your hand. Both toys are super silent and come in pink or white. Try code L30 for 30% off on iobatoys.com. Do you have sex questions? Do you want help learning new techniques, communicating with a partner, opening a relationship, or exploring kink? Sex and intimacy coach Stella Harris can help. Book a session now to take your intimate life to the next level. Listeners of this podcast receive 20% off their first session with code TTS. Learn more and schedule at www.stellaharris.net or follow her on Instagram at Stella Harris Erotica. Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. Thank you to our sponsors. Uh, this is the trauma and sex therapy episode with Katherine Friedman. Um, so let's take some listener questions. I get to live out my fantasy of being an on, uh, on the radio uh, <laughs> you know psych like taking calls i got oh, to be man. like frazier and dr ruth oh man i know it's funny as a child of the 90s i grew up with those people and right? i definitely was like oh that would be nice i would love to show up to a studio i mean i yeah. I, I have like my room in my home and that's fine yeah <laughs> millennial like realities um 
We make it work. I literally had to kick my dog out of here like right before we started because he wouldn't stop licking his balls and yeah, staring at the, the squirrels. Cats are not, the cats are not allowed in right now. Yeah. So I wish I had my own studio. Um, you're way better than Frasier too. Aw. Aw. Uh, it's not hard. <laughs> <laughs> but am I better than Dr. Ruth? Oh, yeah. What That's was... the real question. She was pretty good, right? Did she, she do something good. problematic? I feel like she did something problematic either about anal I'm sex. Sure. I'm sure she did something problematic. But yeah, I mean, we're all problematic. But she's the, been a trailblazer. The woman is like 90. I mean. True. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so let's do some listener questions and we will be 2021 and beyond uh, Dr. Ruth's. Yes. Very contemporary. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this first question I was thinking about this morning because it's hard for me to not like this. I'm pretty objective. I know when shit's bringing shit up for me and that's like Uh important. Um, But this one kind of makes me mad and it's because of my own trauma shit. So let's dive in. Um, My husband is kind of using domination to cover up his sexual insecurities. Mm. Play sometimes feels like he's doing it to me instead of with me in caps. How can we untangle this? This is such a doozy. Oh, my gosh. It's such a big question, and there's so much we don't know. Yeah. But I would I mean, like to try to be helpful. Questions, which is, you know, the problem that I think or the thing that came up last time we did a podcast was, and it's going to happen again, is that I'm like, well, now I need to do a whole interview <sighs> about so much more about this so I can even begin to speak to it. Right. So this is our disclaimer that, like, we recognize our limitations. Um, this this is our opinions. Um Mm-hmm. But I included this question because this is something that I think comes up a lot and it's yeah. happened to me so many times. Mm. And, you know, and I'll give some examples of like just just males being too forceful with like hair tugging or pulling or choking yeah. or, you know, and they're not doing it to hurt me, I believe, based on our other interactions, but like out of severe anxiety and like mimicking what they think they have to do to perform is usually what comes up um you know like I the only one night stand I ever had and I've brought this up a couple times on the show I've never mentioned this part actually um but two months after Brian died I was at the bar where he worked I met a group of people a nice man like went home had a good time Mm -hmm. asked him to leave he left it was fine no problems but and I was, I was drinking, I was intoxicated. And the next day I looked at the condom in the trash can and it was bloody. And I'm like, I'm not on my period and my pussy hurt. And I realized it was just like aggressive fingering and fucking, you know, and I don't blame him, but it was one of those very sobering moments where I'm like, Oh, this person didn't have the awareness and neither did I. Yeah. But it is a common theme that males that are having sex with women act really aggressive if they think they're trying to be dominant. Yeah. I mean, I have so many questions, um, not about your one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not about, but the question itself. So what? how the can we untangle itself, this? I mean, I think the first place that I, I mean, there's a couple places I would go. One is, have they had a conversation and do they talk about sex? Have they negotiated? Do they, does this woman who's asking this question, um, want to be dominated? Does she enjoy being submissive? Is that the kind of sex she wants to be having? Right. Are there, have they talked about what dominance and submission look like 
sexually for them, like what kind of sex acts they want to engage in, how, uh, what kind of language they want to use with one another, um, what kind of force, what kind of force, like does she want to be held down, does she want to be choked, does she want to be tied up, does she want to be manipulated and manhandled, you know, all of these kinds of play benefit from conversation. Mm-hmm. Talking about sex makes better sex. Period. Oh, definitely. Um, so that would be my first question. Right. right. Like, is she afraid? I want to ask you, like, are you afraid to say to him, like, hey, honey, I want to have a serious conversation about yeah. our sex life. Do you have time? And then, like, are you afraid to say, you know, sometimes I feel like you're doing things to me instead of collaboratively with me? Right. Like, yeah. would he... And would that's he, where it becomes an intimacy issue. Yeah. Right? That's where it becomes a... If you are with someone and regularly having sexual inter, you know, intercourse and encounters of whatever kind with them, and you don't feel like there's communication going on through the sex, then what is going on there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and is there actual giving and receiving going on? And this is where, um, you know, Betty Martin's work is so important um, Mm -hmm. on the wheel of consent and ideas about um, giving and receiving. Um, And, uh, and so I, you know, Elle, I trust that you will put her work Mm -hmm. in the references. Mm -hmm. Um, Looking it up now. (laughs) Yeah. um, Her, her new book just came out about all the work that she's done, but she's this BettyMartin.org, B-E-T-T-Y-M-A-R-T-I-N.org. Yeah. And what I love about her work is the way that she talks about giving and receiving and how it enables us to think about giving and receiving as um, kind of a Mobius strip or a, you know, a a snake eating its tail, an Ouroboros or whatever that is, that like Mm. when we are present with our partner, and we are giving, right? So in the case that I, or doing, right? There's a difference between doing and giving. Um, and so if I'm mm-hmm. doing something to someone, then I'm probably not, I'm bastardizing her language. But um, if I'm doing something to someone, that means that they have to accept that. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily engaged in it, right? And that feeling of being an object that it sounds like this woman who, um had the question mm-hmm. was talking about is not a not a lovely feeling unless it's invited. If it's invited, mm-hmm. being objectified can be fantastic, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But if it's not invited, then what it sounds like here is that feels terrible. Mm-hmm. And so it's not she can't receive what he's doing to her as pleasure, right? Unless she's just going to be like, okay, I'm cool with being an object here. But it sounds Mm -hmm. like that's not what she wants. It sounds like she wants something, I mean, again, we don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. But it sounds like she wants something that's potentially more uh, interactive. Like she could direct him a little bit more. She could direct or they could pre-negotiate or she Mm -hmm. could feel like he's paying attention to her reactions in such Mm -hmm. a way that it then shapes what he's doing you know, to her so that the whole thing becomes a, a, a sort of continuous cycle of interaction as mm-hmm. opposed to one person is just doing something to another and then it's very, then it becomes sort of one-sided and performative mm-hmm. and that's not generally that fun for anyone. Uh, let's see. I had some other questions that came up. Um, if, if she's afraid to have the conversation where yeah. she's like, hey, I feel sometimes like 
you're not receptive to my requests. So, you know, and that can, and I've actually, uh, like, here's an example of what that could look like in practice. Um, someone told me, um, okay. So I knew two people. The female told me, Mm -hmm. sometimes I feel like I'm just there for him to do whatever he has like planned out already in his mind. Yeah, That's so common. Thank you. Okay. Because, and then I separately had talked to him and he mm. unprompted, he brought up, he said, I have a very specific set of things that I like and that turn me on. And it's hard for me to find a partner who's into those things. Oh, interesting. So in his mind, he's seeking his like, you know, what gets him off. Right. But he's not, I know this person, giving a shit about <laughs> what she likes, you know? Right. Yeah. So. And that, I think that could be a sticking point where it's like, honey, I don't like the sex we're having is what really is like the elephant in the room. Like, I don't like it. Yeah. Or I don't like it as much as I could be. Yeah. And that's his sexual insecurity right there. Right. Because Ugh. he can probably sense that she's not having a good time. Ooh, maybe. Um, I mean, maybe that's what's going on. Maybe. Okay. So how can we, so some things that I do, and this is just like super casual. Okay. Example. Someone's like, Pulling on my hair, I'll reach up and tap their hand and say, ouch. Yeah. You know, or softer or more gentle, please. And like, here's the thing. If they say no or ignore you, I don't think you should be having sex with this person. I I heartily agree with that. Okay. I heartily agree that if you are having sex with a person who is not able to take feedback and gets defensive When they are given gentle, kind feedback, right? These are sensitive Mm -hmm. issues. People are, um, people are very, very, uh, attached to their ideas of the way that they are being sexual with other people. It feels like an expression of their authentic self. It feels like so deeply wounding for so many people, who don't talk about sex much when the one thing that they are told about their sex life is, or, and how they are in um, sexual interaction is that it's not good. You know, that's like mm-hmm. a pretty big blow mm-hmm. um, for who, whatever gendered person is, mm-hmm. is in that situation. So, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody doesn't respond to the, or give you permission to give feedback, that's, that's not a real positive sign about an ongoing successful relationship. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I hope we gave some tips to this person and just remember divorce is a bunch of paperwork, but it is possible. It is. Yeah. Uh, Um, Might be surprised, right? Like sometimes we're so afraid to talk about sex and then we do open that door to talking about Mm -hmm. it and really amazing communication and change can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like if he has no idea, if he's like, oh, I I had no idea that you like felt this way. Yes. You know, what can we do? Like, thank you for telling me. Then yes. oh, it could go so many ways. So best wishes to you, listener. Indeed. Uh, feel free to write us and let let me know. Let us know how how those uh, things play out. I like updates, actually. They talk sex at protonmail.com. OK, this one listener question two. Is it possible to communicate with my partner about my rape kink without bringing up my related trauma? I assume they mean to rape. I'm assuming that too. Yeah. Let's, we're going to just make that assumption. Yeah. Real quick, I just want to state with a previous guest, um, I had I had said that 
you can you can mention you have trauma around something, but you don't have to tell all of the stories, you know? Mm-hmm. That's that's just my like throw that out there. What do you think? I, I I totally agree with that. I don't think anybody is obligated to share their trauma narrative with anybody else. And um, I think sometimes it's not a great idea to share one's trauma narrative with someone who's not able to receive it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this is another this depends like it depends question. Like, is the person who wants to engage in rape play um, in a place with their healing around their trauma that they can go into this play with this other person um, Mm. without getting super activated. Ooh. If they Mm -hmm. can't, then I think they do need to inform the other person about what might happen because that's informed consent, right? Um, Like it's just as much a consent violation for someone who has had a bunch of trauma to invite a top, you know, a bottom who's had a bunch of trauma to invite Mm -hmm. a top to do something that is potentially really traumatizing to them as it would be if that person did that thing without asking for the bottom's consent. Right. Right. Um, Because that's a huge emotional and potentially traumatizing to the top Mm -hmm. situation. Right. Mm -hmm. So it has to do, I think a lot, with how intimate is this? What is your own tolerance around this kind of play? What role does this play um, have in your own healing? Like, what are your emotional expectations of this encounter? Like, do you think you're going to heal your rape trauma through rape play? That could be the case in certain circumstances Mm -hmm. in conversation with a knowledgeable professional. <clears throat> like someone like myself. Um, uh, but I don't recommend that people go into this kind of thing with a partner in a really uninformed and unconscious way because it can be very traumatizing to both partners. Yes. Yeah, certainly. And um, what I'm hearing is that, again, it has to be collaborative, just like yes. what we're talking about in the beginning, the yeah. relationship with the person in the container kind of yeah. doesn't matter what you're doing sometimes if you both yeah. just feel safe. Um, and, and that's then- edge play, right? Like if you're going to get into taboo edge play, then you should really acknowledge it, <laughs> acknowledge that and co-create it. I mean, yeah. I taught a class last, uh, not last year, cause it was just before COVID. I taught a class on co-creating mm. taboo play. And it is Ooh. so important that if you're going to work with things that are edgy and potentially really emotionally arousing that you negotiate the heck out of it and that you really trust your partner. Mm -hmm. Or what I think I also heard in the first part of your answer was if you feel like you can lead and manage it. Yeah, totally. Then take a crack at it because that's That's where I come from. Yeah, I've definitely. mm, Okay, whatever. I'm just going to speak organically. I've raised and educated a couple of my partners on how to objectify me, you know, Yes. Um, and because I could do that because I have, yeah. the, you know, my background in like. You have the skill. I have the skill to do want. it. You know what you like. You know what helps you. You right. know what feels hot. Right. Um, but yeah. And also my partners were capable enough to carry it. And that's why I delivered. Um, right. But yeah, try don't, don't you can't you can't forge your own sexual healing through other people without their knowledge and consent, I think. Exactly. A hundred percent. I couldn't right. put it better myself. I would so take that class. Um, do you, how often do you, again? okay. Are you in New York? I am. Okay. Everybody in New York. Bing bong. Look her up. 
Um, okay. So I think we got to that question quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. Okay. Related to this as someone who is very submissive, how can I be dominant for my partner? We don't have to go too deep on this because, um, Domina Franco and I talked about this a little bit and her advice was you learn to be a better dominant by thinking about what you like as a sub, like what works for you and how people show up. Yep. Yes. And also to think of it as service to your dom. Hmm. Right. That's another way to do it. I mean, I don't know exactly what kind of play they're talking about, but if this is what your dominant wants from you and you have a relationship where you want to serve your dom, then you do what your dom asks of you and it is service. <laughs> and that le- that means learn how to be dominant. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I, I suggest think about what sounds sexy to you and then figure out how you can put a dominant flip on it. Mm. so right so like I when I really like someone I really like going down on them Mm -hmm. so how do I my example is I tied someone up in a very simple way yes um I covered his face where I said you're not allowed to look so it was like a sensory deprivation yeah and I told him I said yeah thank you I said and I said you're tied to some tables that will fall over if you move Oh, predicaments. Right? We were in a um, Airbnb. Yeah. So I like tied him up. I realized what I was tying him to wasn't stable. And I was like, fuck, started to panic. And then I was like, no, this is his problem, not mine. I was like, yeah, don't don't move. (laughs) So um, yeah. So be creative and like see what comes to you. But like, how can you put a flip on it to be a dominant thing? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, But and and so the piece that I would really emphasize is that if you are deeply submissive, how can you turn an act, even one of dominance, into an act of submission for yourself? Right. And for th- for me, that was face fucking myself on this person while they're tied up and they can't move. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I hope that was helpful. Um, someone asks, listener question four, can lifelong overindulgence in masturbation make it difficult to come during partner sex? Okay, here's the answer to this one, as I understand it. And Elle, I think you'll probably have equal insight on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends how you masturbate and what your body is acclimated to, mm. right? Because our bodies get into ruts in mm-hmm. whatever we do. And so if we only ever masturbate in one way and our system only knows how to orgasm from that kind of stimulation, it's going to take a little while for your body to learn how to assimilate other kinds of stimulation. Mm-hmm. Um, and potentially orgasm from those different things. And then the other piece of it is the trust and intimacy and exposure piece, right? Do does Are you so comfortable masturbating and is masturbating such and orgasming such a private act for you that the idea of doing it with another person is jarring enough that it's... Mm-hmm. Um, hard for you to relax enough. And Mm -hmm. so that may just mean that you need a lot of practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with those. Right. Both of those things. I think we, I wonder if we were in one of the same classes where I remember (laughs) the wheelbarrow analogy where it's like, like we say rut and that sounds bad, but think about like the easiest way to get there. So it's like, if you take your wheelbarrow up the hill every single day on the same path, you make a, you know, and so it's easiest to stay in there because it's the easiest way to get up the hill. 
Right. And you can deviate from it, but it'll just take some more time and effort. It's how the nervous system works, right? The nervous system literally lubricates certain pathways so that they become easier. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's Mm going to take a little while to lubricate another pathway. Mm -hmm. And that's why like I could drive the same route and I don't have to think that hard because my brain is doing it on autopilot. Autopilot. Right. Um, So... I don't know what you mean by overindulgence. Um, yeah. I masturbate like one to four times a day if I can. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm going to just, I'm just going to um, kind of ignore the whole notion of overindulgence in this context of this question. Mm-hmm. That seems to be getting into a place of judgment and shame mm-hmm. and um, potential like uh, belief systems, like mm-hmm. religious or what have you that I would need to know a ton more about before I address that. So mm-hmm. um, let's just address the, can yeah. a lot of masturbation in one particular way impact one's ability to orgasm support? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, okay. We, I want to do a couple more of these and, uh, but let's take, yeah, I want to do a couple more of these listener questions, but let's take a break. We'll be right sure. back. Everybody find me. If I'm still there on Instagram at stripper writer, my backup is L underscore Stanger. Um, website is my name, lstanger.com. And look up Catherine Friedman, articulatedesire.com. Correct? Yes. Hell yeah. Hey, everybody. I want to turn you on to Good Clean Love. It's one of my favorite brands from right here in the Pacific Northwest. Their almost naked organic lube is water-based, so it's perfect for sex with a partner when using a condom or with your favorite toys. It's the best-selling organic lube in the country, and I think you'll really love it. Go to goodcleanlove.com forward slash L and check out my personalized collection of favorite products, including pH balancing wipes, suppositories for bacterial vaginosis, massage candles, and lubricants. Use code L20 and take 20% off your first purchase. Do you have a sensitive vulva or vagina? Me too. People with vaginas will experience at least one yeast infection in their lifetime, and many folks like myself get them every time the seasons change. As someone who relies on their vaginal health for their personal and professional wellness, I use Momotaro Apotheca Solutions for preventing bacterial vaginosis or yeast infection. Their products also serve urinary tract infections, postpartum care issues, aftercare, and general irritation from sex, clothing, and exercise. I love these things. I use them to shorten my healing time or prevent irritation. Use Stripper Writer for a discount code and check out their affiliated CBD products at oshihana.com. That's momotaroapotheca.com and oshihana.com. Welcome back to the Talk Sex Podcast. This is the Trauma and Sex Therapy episode with Katherine Friedman. So we're talking about all kinds of things, and I actually want to do a couple more listener questions. Sure. Okay, listener question. I think this is five now. Any help with ADHD and getting distracted? during sex. Does this happen to you? 
Or do you um, live with this challenge? We don't live with ADHD. Cool. Um, that I'm aware <laughs> of. I mean, it's, I, I don't think I have ADHD. Honestly, it's so multifaceted as a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and that would be the first place. I mean, so no, I don't. Um, okay. I think that the I issue. <laughs> yes, I know that you do. We talked about that before. Okay, good. Um, and I. I think that the first question I would ask is how does your ADHD show up? Right. Mm. Because it's so different for so many different people. Mm. Right. Can Um, you give some examples? So some people will be really spacey about time and just not have a sense of the duration of time or how long things will take. Mm. And they might be late all the time, or they might not be able to budget time so that they can get a project done in, you know, in, relation to a deadline or Mm -hmm. sometimes it might be that their attention flits from one thing to another right and so that's probably what we're talking about here where um i mean one of the one of the pieces about adhd is that people are drawn to novelty and so Mm -hmm. if something to get boring or unstimulating to their nervous system they will find themselves suddenly paying attention to another thing uh, and not able to stay focused on the other thing. Some people need more stimulation in order to stay focused. Like they will want extra stimulus Mm -hmm. in the background so Mm -hmm. that they can stay focused on the one thing. Some people have really loud inner speech. Like they get distracted by their own thoughts because their own thoughts are so loud. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, and that's just like a few ways that it can show up. Mm-hmm. Those are great examples. Uh, I'm trying to think, because this is, again, this is stuff that like I have worked on for years, but I'm trying to think yeah. how, if it does show up and that would be probably like a distraction and then beginning to ruminate on it. And it's like, oh my God, what am I doing? <laughs> it's more kind and consensual if I'm actually paying attention to what my partner's doing. Sure. Like I, I almost feel like I'm not, if I'm not checked in, if I'm not present there with them, I feel like that's just really not fair to them. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely one way of working with it. There's also really pragmatic ways of working with it, which is to have the, you know, toys and things that you need to engage in different kinds of sex acts available to you so that if one sex act starts to get kind of boring, you can be like, oh, look, there's this toy over here. Let's try that. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, and also what I was hearing you saying uh, earlier, I started thinking like, you know, what's great for not getting distracted is a lot of kink play. Yes. Right. <laughs> Where you're so like doing a task or you're edging. Doing task or edging. Also getting to know your own sensory world and what will pull your attention. Right. So, mm. you know, if you're somebody who might zone out after they've had one kind of stimulus for a while, um, having a partner who you let them know, like, Hey, if I start to zone out, just like scratch me with your fingernails or like grab my ass or pull my hair, bite my neck, or, right. Bite my neck or whatever. Like that, that's going to pull my focus. Like mm-hmm. if you notice me, um, if you notice me drifting and mindfulness activities are, you know, and just training one's ability to be mindful of what's going on is going to help in any kind of ADHD situation, right? Because that's training the attentional muscle, which is not actually a thing, but it's a metaphor, (laughs) right? To Mm -hmm. notice where the attention is going and to then be able to observe that and come back. Mm -hmm. I mentioned before that like the clicking of mouths sometimes or the stickiness of bodies can be, it can be 
immediately overwhelming to me or sometimes I really, really like it. It's so fucking right. weird. So it's either like, do I put on the the air filter for some white noise? I always got to shut the bathroom door because there's dripping that still needs to be fixed. But, right. <laughs> you know, like I know my things where I crack a window. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So knowing what is going to help you stay focused and what will help bring you back and what's going to distract you and trying to mitigate those distractions and engaging with your partner about it, right? Talking to your partner about like, hey, this is how my ADHD shows up during sex. These are ways that we can collaborate to have a better experience together. Mm -hmm. I really like using colored lights in my life. I feel like they've just improved the quality of my life. Just like cheap bulbs I swap out. and Yeah. Yeah, something like that even. So like if I have someone over and I have like the red light on in my room or the blue light on in my room, it just like sets a mood. Yeah. Right. And it's probably also creating Mm -hmm. novelty in a way that is compelling for your Mm -hmm. attention. And and my partners. I mean, at the very least, it's going to be memorable. (laughs) That's for sure. Um, All right. Thank you for the help on that. Last one. I was promiscuous. Oop, how do we feel about that word? I was promiscuous in my teens and 20s, and now I don't want anyone touching me. Will that ever change? Was the sex good when you were so-called promiscuous, or was it just like a lot of touch? Right, and what are all of your judgments and shamey things going on that are activated, or coming from that word promiscuous, that are then you know, facilitating your judgments around sex and your own sexuality. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about the language for, (laughs) um, okay. So what does it mean when this person says promiscuous? Does that mean you had a lot of fun, pleasurable, fulfilling, mutually exciting and reciprocal sex and relationships in your teens and twenties? And now you don't want anyone touching you. I don't think that's what you're saying. I think you maybe had a lot of interactions that were like awkward or unpleasant or, Maybe you were coping. I definitely have friends who are like, oh, I have fucked so many people because I was depressed. Yeah. You know, or whatever. So if the yeah. sex wasn't good, it makes sense why you wouldn't feel motivated to seek it out. That's my theory. Yeah. And if you were using it for another purpose, right? As you were just saying. Survival. Right. A survival, mood regulation, trying to feel alive, denumbing, social acceptance, mm-hmm. you know rebellion. I mean, you name it. Like Mm -hmm. that word promiscuous, I would want to deconstruct for a really long time. Mm -hmm. So will that ever change? Yeah, it could certainly change if you believe that you I I think it's a perfect opportunity to go into some sex therapy and talk about it. Like that's a great reason to go into sex therapy. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling this person is a new, um, new, new listener (laughs) because we talk about this stuff a lot. Yes, you can heal. That's what we're here for. I've healed so much. Oh my God. Yeah. The other thing is like, maybe this person didn't really enjoy the sex and maybe this person isn't that highly sexual, right? Because a lot of times engaging in sex is something that is just, as you said, something that people do because of social expectations and conventions. And some people are more or less sexual and this person may not, you know, they may be more on the asexual side of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. That's a really good consideration. In which case, maybe it won't change, and it's about accepting that and figuring out what they want and need in terms of companionship that may or may not involve a lot of sexual activity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. So, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you know, um, this is really like 
I wish that all my guests, I guess I could pass it on to them, but I don't want to spam all my, everybody who's on my show is so fucking busy. Um, but I hear feedback from people that really, truly, they're like, save my life, like fix my relationships, you know, you know, like you're having such amazing people on your show right now. Too. Yes, I am. Um, so included. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so glad we know each other. Um, so just for funsies, uh, I found this, I never look at mindbodygreen.com. Um, I don't even know what that is. They have a, they have a lot of like informative yet a little clickbaity. So I clicked on it. Um, the ultimate list of kinks and fetishes explained by sex experts written by Cassinia Boom, uh, MS. Uh, they quote a couple LMFTs, ACSs. Okay, so kinks versus fetishes. Tell me what you think about this. Kink is something that one may or may not include in their sexual behavior as a way to enhance pleasure and subjective experience. A fetish is something that primarily defines and is inextricably linked to one's sexual behavior. What do you think about that? Because kink is an object? I'm confused. It says a fetish I... is typically concentrated on a bob- object or body part, uh, latex, leather, or feet, for example, whereas kink could be an action, sex act, behavior, or even dynamic between partners. So they're saying fetish is an object or a body part. Yeah. I mean, I think this is sort of the like one of the classic definitions of like coming from the history of psychotherapy and psychoanalysis and stuff that like a fetish is something that is inanimate that gets invested with sexual energy Hmm. um in a way that's considered to be pathological um usually and deviant and so i'm not a huge fan of the word fetish Mm -hmm. um as a clinical concept because i think it is often kind of stigmatizing and pathologizing yeah because we hear when people say that something has been fetishized they're not talking about in positive usually not usually not usually not Usually it's about investing something with an inappropriate kind of energy. Um, or, I mean, I'm using energy cause that's the word, um, that j- tends to get used. Hmm. Um, and it's usually assumed to be in some way deviant because it's not investing that energy in like heterosexual, cis, partnered, procreative mm-hmm. sex, mm-hmm. right? Right. And that that's like the right place where erotic energy should be right. focused. Which and I we, don't agree with that. No. Right. <laughs> right. So the whole premise of talking about fetishes and distinguishing between fetishes and kinks is a little bit in a framework that I don't subscribe to. Yeah. Um, at the same time, you know, on FetLife and among kinky people we talk about fetishes as things that we have invested with sexual energy um but that are not necessarily um obligatory to get off or to have pleasure Mm -hmm. right like and and we joke about that within the kinky community that's funny because the website is called fet life it's not called kink life exactly right it's fet life when people list their fetishes they don't list their kinks interesting Um, so Let's go down. I I understand. It's language can be so tricky sometimes. I don't pick them apart either. I kind of use them interchangeably, honestly. Yeah. Um usually I've tried to start saying kink um because I I do feel it is more of a positive sounding word. I just prefer kink because I think that 
it doesn't even get into that history of pathologizing language. Mm. And I am very much a therapist who tries not to use the disease model or mm. the deficit model mm-hmm. or any of those um, ways of thinking about my clients. And I try to help my clients think about themselves in ways other than that. And I try not to come from sort mm-hmm. of authoritarian like authoritarian models of myself as the person who knows and the person who's doing the diagnosing. I try to work in a very collaborative way Mm -hmm. um, for a lot of different reasons. And so that language to me is a little bit diagnosing and in a way that I don't feel that comfortable with. Maybe they'll change it to kinklife.com. Just kidding. That's probably already a website. Don't go there. I don't know what it is. Um, so let's go down. So the 25 common kinks as they are listed here. This is so confusing. Yeah, what did they say? Uh, BDSM. BDSM uh, is... is I know. It is kinks. I know. So it says BDSM is an umbrella term for bondage, discipline, domination, submission, sadism and masochism because again you could use that's the umbrella term for all kinkiness right so it's saying like this is the overarching one because here it breaks it down like sadism and masochism come under the bdsm umbrella that's number two Um, go to my my instagram and read my writing on this okay that's what i say okay go to my instagram at articulate desire and read my writing on these things. Okay. Which post is it? Oh, gosh. Um, I'll probably be reposting. Oh, okay. I was like, I'll go there right now. Um, yeah. So just to bam, bam down the list, because I want people to consider what comes up for them. Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. Voyeurism, exhibitionism, uh-huh. Uh-huh. role play, uh-huh. dirty talk. Uh-huh. Uh, you're a f- that- I guess it's a king. Yeah, because I definitely know when some people prefer to engage in it versus don't at all. <laughs> Yeah. Because I'm like a moderate dirty talker. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Europhilia or golden showers, piss play, water sports, okay. uh, nipple play, humiliation, cuck holding, uh-huh. uh-huh. um, female led relationships. I've never heard this. FLR. Yeah. This is a whole thing. I don't know why a female led relationship is a kink. Because we're in a patriarchy. You, you know why. You know why. Be, I'm gonna be that right. Be that right. Of like, why is that? Um, because I think it's so incredibly problematic. Um, right. I, I think they're probably equating female-led relationships with femdom. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that any female-led relationship would inherently be a dominant submissive relationship. Female-led relationships is a model of relationship that people are talking about, but it doesn't necessarily have to be kinky. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. See that right there. That shows what kind of culture we're in. Yeah. Uh, financial domination comes up oralism or turned on by hearing things yeah by sounds mm-hmm. uh, sounds of their moans how wet they are uh age play orgasm control impact play consensual non-consent aka rape play gags praise kink oh my god that's me oh my god no, no, i love praise kink. Ah! oh my god people who are a little unsure of themselves or who struggle with attachment issues may be particularly into this kink oh my god called out no. seriously <laughs> Like that that well-placed good boy is magic. Jesus Christ. I literally have good girl tattooed on the back of my legs. Yeah. And I was crying to somebody I was in a sexual relationship with because I was like, you never like verbally affirm me. That's one of my love languages. It's not one of yours. Oh, my God. All right. Degradation, blood play, furries, also known as autoplushophilia. 
Yeah, there's a lot of question among, as I understand it, there's a lot of question among the furry community about whether they want to be thought of as kinky, but that's like a whole rabbit hole that we're not going to go down. Yeah. Oh, there's, okay. So uh, what are the last two? Oh, last one says mummification. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's a wide array of kinks. Yeah. There's, I mean, I like, like, let's see, there's 25 on here. I think I like like 17 of these. Yeah, if I had it in front of me, I'd probably be like, yeah. right around that range. Yeah. Um, it's in, yeah, it's interesting. I wonder where they got their research. Yeah, it's, you know? it's listed in the article. It's called uh, Mind Body Green. It's called The Ultimate List of Kinks and Fetishes Explained by Sex Experts, published December 4th of 2021 by Cassinia Boom MS. I just wonder who gets to decide who are the sex experts. Like, this is a whole conversation that we're not going to right. have. Right. Yeah. Um, all have. Right. It says the per- one of the people they talked to is a therapy clinic in Minneapolis. Uh, a couple of others are quoted in there. Anyway, look it up, people. But, yeah, read Catherine's writing on these things. Yeah. So um, I have writing at articulate desire on instagram uh my website is gonna have more blog posts and some things will be past a, a paywall but some will not come to my mm-hmm. website and sign up for my newsletter um there'll be video classes there'll be different bits of writing there'll be little video snippets of me just talking and going off about things that I'm excited about or annoyed about. <laughs> that can be fun. Yes, exactly. Have a free awesome. rant. Totally. A free rant on me. Yes. Uh, what are some resources that have been helpful for your learning besides you mentioned Betty Martin yeah. org also? Um, in general resources for my learning, you know, so much, I am really somebody who learns best from conversation with other people. And so it's hard for me to, um, like especially clinically, like in terms of what to do in session. So um, it's a little bit hard for me to answer that question. Um, and I'm drawing a blank right now, which is embarrassing, um, but it's kind of what happens to me That's when okay. I'm like, wait, there's so many. Um, right. And it well, we mentioned IC, the school we met. Institute for Sexuality.com is their website. Yeah, that's is really wonderful. I encourage people who are curious about kink to find classes in their local kink communities or online. I encourage people who are interested in learning about non-monogamy, um, polyamory to read more than two. I still think more than two is one of the better books. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot to know about the history behind the book, but um, one of the co-authors, Eve Rickert, still su- mm. supports what she wrote. And um, I think it's an incredible way to think about polyamory structurally. Um, Everybody Loves Polysecure by Jessica Fern. If you are wanting to know the basics about people with vulvas and how they have sexual response um, and how it differs from people with penises. I think Emily Nagoski's Come As You Are is, you know, as it deserves all of the praise that it gets um, mm-hmm. in terms of normalizing things that are, mm-hmm. I mean, I was just talking about it with a client the other day who thought that they were broken. And I was like, no, you're so Aww. not broken. You're so not broken. No. Your partner does not have a magic cock and it is not going to heal you. Um, <laughs> and the fact that he thinks it's going to maybe a red flag. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like what we said earlier, you can't expect yeah. someone else to like do the work for you or you no. do it without them. And the, the word collaboration keeps coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, depending on the different topics, there's there's so many incredible resources out there and increasing numbers of them. Also seeking out private ed- private sex educators. Um, there's a lot of them around. So many people doing really beautiful work around gender identity, sexual identity, anti-racist work, countering the white supremacist history of sexual research and sex education and sex therapy. Um, I'm not going to like drop a bunch of names right now, but. Right. Oh, you've been so helpful already. Um, but there, <laughs> you know, l- the, the thing I suggest people do is is look around, right? And mm-hmm. open your mind and don't just go looking for like the most famous public authority book on whatever. Um, read a diversity of voices, talk to people, learn to talk about sex. Like mm-hmm. the number one thing that I recommend to people in terms of improving their sex life and um, healing their sexual wounds is learning how to be vulnerable with yourself to think about your own sexuality and to talk to other people who feel safe about sex. Um, Mm -hmm. that to me, I mean, that's why my, my business is called articulate desire. I think learning how to talk about things first, how to think about them, then how to, you know, how to think them, then how to talk them, then how to actually enact them is the way that we heal. So I love that. And we listen to podcasts like what we're doing. Yes. We make podcasts. They yeah. talk sex. I mean. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. That's what we're doing. Yay. So you've been so helpful. I ask all my guests this but right before we go. Do you have any last sex tips for our audience? Engage in your fantasy life. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. my number one sex tip right now. Let yourself fantasize, experience desire, be creative, nurture that part of you that wants and think about what it is you might want because Eros is the most incredibly creative and healing part of our lives. I mean, it's not the most, but it is an incredibly healing part of our lives and it can only become that if we allow ourselves to think creatively Mm-hmm. and think about possibility mm-hmm. I love that I love that <laughs> thank you Catherine so nice to have you here thank you Elle mm-hmm. if you'd like to contact her for services write hello at articulatedesire.com and Catherine I will see you on the internet yes yeah. absolutely alright All right, everybody until next time Hey everybody, it's Elle. Are you ready for some discount codes? You can get 20% off cool t-shirts like the ones you've seen on Instagram by feministtrash.com. If you enter all caps, L Stanger, that's my name. I recommend using the code STRIPPERWRITER for 10% off your orders, $35 or more on sexual wellness items from unboundbabes.com. This is one of my favorite websites. And I know some of you enjoy the Vesper toys on lovecrave.com. You can use all caps code L 
for a free engraving on your Vesper toys. It's one of my favorite vibrators and I also use it to calm down like a uh, sternum vibrator. Nobody's ever asked, but I do indeed receive a portion of sales. Thank you so much to these affiliates for offering to do so, and I'm happy to recommend their products. And please let me know, listeners, what products you like or any feedback about anyone I ever recommend, be it in show or in social media or here.